Lord Acton once said, the issue which has swept down the centuries will have to be fought sooner or later. And that is the people versus the banks. Welcome to episode 55 of Eyes Wide Open, where truthers of all stripes can further their personal journey of freedom through the insights of our esteemed guests. We publish a new episode every week on YouTube, Rumble, Spotify, and Twitter. I'm Lawrence Eastman, your host, and I'm here today with Lisa Tanner, who returns for a second time. We're going to be chatting to Lisa about the latest happenings in her epic battle against the banks. In part one, we go over what's currently happening in legal land, in Lisa's cases, exposing the mortgage scam and the monopoly board and how it really works. In part two, which is premium content, we talk about the real actionable solutions what you can do to break free of the system we really get down into the nitty-gritty in a virtual masterclass from lisa that you are not going to get anywhere else but before we get into that i just want to let you know that you can see part two of this podcast and others by becoming a member of my site it's just five pounds a month less than the price of a pint and you'll be supporting independent content creators like myself to keep bringing you the truth Sign up today by clicking the link in the description or go to my website. But now it's time for our guest, Lisa Tanner, the bank slayer. Enjoy. Lisa Tanner, welcome back to Eyes Wide Open. Our first podcast was really well received. It's one of the most viewed podcasts on Eyes Wide Open. Continues to rack up the views and people making many comments and questions and I thought it would be... Great to get you back on. Okay, thank you. Nice to be here. Find out what your latest adventures are in bank slaying. Um, we can be updated, and the people who watch the first one will probably come back to watch this one too, and maybe get some more new information about what's happening in legal land, in the, the mortgage scam, banking crisis, and maybe you know we can uh, offer some further solutions to the viewers. Yeah. A little bit different this time than the last one is that part one is available to everyone who wants to watch it on youtube and rumble and stuff but part two is available to members of my website lawrenceesman.com and in part two we're going to get into some nitty-gritty solutions so that people who are members of the site can put into practice what you've been talking about so tell us lisa since the last time we spoke what have you been up to oh it, yeah okay uh, where do i start so it's been pretty exhausting i will be honest with you it's been a real roller coaster Justice isn't always the same here in the UK. So, um, you you know, you've got different judges with um, different levels of knowledge. So you get different outcomes and results um, at the court cases. Um, so, yeah, it's been a real roller coaster. It's been an education, I think, for the judges and everything as well. Um, but what I've sort of established and come across, I believe, is a bit of an issue with the lower courts. And that is judges, district judges that are quite inexperienced and, and um, not very up on equitable law, let's say. Uh, very good at sort of landlord and very straightforward legislation. Um, but yeah, not very good at the equity, not very big understanding, which is understandable because when we are working with barristers for cases, quite often I'll have to sit with a barrister over a couple of days to explain and, you know, get the transaction laid down kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's been up and down. It ha you know, it hasn't been um, smooth sailing all the time, I will be honest. You know, it's uh, we've been going in, we've been having to do a few appeals and stuff like that. We've had a few wins. Um, um, but yeah, here we are, still fighting the good fight. So for people who haven't seen the first podcast, then why haven't you? Uh, 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 if people who haven't seen it, Lisa has been blazing a trail, uh, exposing the nature of the fraud of the banking system, mortgages, and you have been using a, a, a unique approach to how people who have been uh, ripped off by the banks, I guess, mm. you're exposing the scam of mortgages and you're having some success yeah. in the courts. Just as a little overview, explain the fundamentals of why the mortgage system in the UK 
is fraudulent and what's the, 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 the nature of the beast? Okay. Um, I don't, I've got to be honest, I don't like using the word fraudulent very okay. much because um, I spoke to an accountant the other week actually and he put me right and fraud is very decisive and there has to be a check involved, mm -hmm. believe it oh, or not. Right. Okay. So you can call it fraudulent activity, but it's not fraud per se. That's me corrected. But there you go. That's everybody because I thought the same. So um, what we do is we just devise um, a trail of ownership of assets for an organisation. Um, so we look at, at who the beneficial owner is. Of what, the mortgage? Of the mortgages, yeah, whatever it is that we're dealing with. Because whether it turns in, in my job, whether it turns into a mortgage, whether it's a commercial loan, a residential mortgage, that's really an after event of, of where I'm coming from kind of thing. So regardless of, you know, what it turns into at the end, we look at the ownership and how that particular entity owns, if they own and that's where we take it from. So um, if you don't own something, obviously you can't enforce it, can you? So that's what we're finding, isn't it? We're finding that we're under the presumption that when a bank brings an action against a mortgagee... Uh, mortgagor. Mortgagor, sorry, yeah. I always get mixed up. When a bank brings an action against the mortgagor, someone who's received the mortgage for uh, an order for possession, mm -hmm. we assume or we presume that the bank is the owner of the mortgage. They lent you the money. And therefore they have the, the right, the standing, the locus yeah. to be able to bring that action in the first place. But what your investigation has discovered is that's not true at all, is no, it? No, everyone's an agent. Yeah. They're just brokers. So intermediaries, if you like, um, you know, Bank of Scotland have never given a mortgage from their books in their history. Well, that sounds incredible. Let's talk a little bit about that before we go any further. Because, you know, during the, the banking crisis of 2008, where the major banks held a gun to the head to the government and said, unless you bail us out, we're going to bring the whole thing down. And Bank of Scotland was one of those banks that was bailed out by the UK government, meaning us, the taxpayer. Yeah, yeah. Right? And what you're saying is they don't actually make any loans. No, they are just an intermediary. So they are just a brand um, that's made up of, um, you know, uh, subsidiaries, if you like. So yeah. you've got the Halifax brand, you've got the Birmingham Midshires brand, etc., etc. But those actual um, facilities are taking facilities from outside also. So mm -hmm. quite often from big investment trusts offshore and stuff like that. That. So, for instance, a Birmingham Midshires mortgage, when I looked, um, I, I can't remember the date on it. It might, may have been around 2007 to 2010. It was a Northern Trust company that actually loaned the money mm -hmm. to Birmingham Midshires. So, yeah, they just get loads of investors to come in. It's the way it all works. Even, um, you know, commercial finance works the same. Everything is born from the commercial realm, if you like. Bank of Scotland, they receive the finance from another entity Correct. and then just act as the middleman, put their cut on top, pass it through to the, you know, the, the consumer. Yeah, or the, they'll say, um, like, we're, we're like a nominated, like, uh, legal title holder, for just instance. Just an agent, yeah. Just an agent, yeah. yeah. They, they don't actually um, hold any of the rights, you know. How is it that such a massive operation, you know, you know the housing market probably is the most important area of commerce, if you like, that underpins the UK economy. Mm. Very, very important sector. Mm. You know, the rest of the economy is... The, the house, house prices are like a barometer for the rest of the economy, aren't they? Yeah. Right? H how is it that they're able to pull this off? Right? Is that we're being told that, you know, banks are lending us the money or HBOS is lending us the money or the truth is, you know, obviously they're not doing that. And, no. then, and then they're bringing actions. I mean... How have they got away with it so, All right, so let's, long let's, so far? Yeah, if, it, if, I it mean, sounds, if it sounds like so um, simple to expose this, which is what you've done and you're proven in the court. I think it's when it comes back to it, it becomes simple. It certainly wasn't simple to get there, was it? Okay. You know, So when you get back to the bare bones of something, yeah. then you can probably describe it in a paragraph. But to get to that sort of understanding um, is a lot of verbiage involved. But, I mean, certainly with the... Uh, well, I mean, they're all doing it. So let's say me and you are going to start a bank. We're going to start giving people loans, yeah, but we've got no money to start. But, mm -hmm. hey, I'll tell you what, we're going to borrow... We probably wouldn't even need a lot, like five grand to set ourselves up, yeah? yeah. Then what we're going to do is we're going to create a trust and we're going to say um, to people that we know that have got a lot of money, um, would you like to put into this trust? Because what we're going to do, we're going to start um, offering bridging facilities or mortgages mm -hmm. and what we'll do is we'll give you a 2.5% interest, like a 2.5% return monthly, yearly, mm -hmm. whatever the deal is, yeah? And then that way we would be 
then able to register a legal charge and start lending people money. But isn't that all under kind of FSA rules and regulations? Yeah, I mean, well, so the, it's, it's the only, residential... It's jobs for the boys, isn't it? You know, the licence to print money is only amongst each other, yeah. Absolutely, but um, with residential mortgages, that's the case, but not so much with commercial, you yeah. know. Commercials, a lot of it's unregulated, isn't it? So with unregulated lending, I mean, there's things in the uh, residential world where if your mortgage has been sold to another entity and that entity isn't FCA registered, yeah. you can actually, they're not allowed to charge you interest for the whole time that the mortgage was in there. With um, unregulated lending, they can pretty much do what they want, which is the real problem we've got. And where the unregulated lending is so out of control, that's why our system keeps collapsing. Yeah. Yeah. And well, the same unregulated with the banking. lending is just loan sharks. Yeah, it? That's it is. Basically it is. What it is. But um, it's only a residential mortgage once it gets to you. So everything that happens on the other side in the commercial realm is yeah. unregulated, you see. Right. Yeah, so it's a massive big hustle behind the scenes, isn't it? Yeah. It is, it is. It's quite clever, yeah. and I tip my hat sometimes, you know, but I wouldn't start lending people money and committing usury, but I can see how it's done. Yeah, I can definitely see how it's done, and I can understand why people get into it because it's so lucrative, isn't it? You know, you can start with nothing. You buy property options. You can go and buy a house with yeah, no money if you know how to... With nothing, didn't they? And they scammed us into paying off all, you know, all of our labour. But one thing, one thing I kind of, I kind of see is that... One of the ways that they get away with this is that it's hidden, it's secret, it's behind the veil. Right? And there's a lot of people involved in keeping it secret. The judges, the courts, the lawyers, Believe the, the, so. the media. But what's happening is, is that when sunlight is the best disinfectant, mm -hmm. right? And what you're doing is making public to some large degree is what's actually happening behind the scenes. Yeah, shining a light on shining how it light works. On it. And yeah. as more and more people become aware of it, especially people who are watching this, they're having their own issues with their own properties and they're trying to fight the good fight. Yeah. At this point, is the system is just trying to ignore it and hope you go away. Mm. Yeah, but you're having more and more success in the courts well at least at least having them it's up and down yes yes yeah yeah so what's been your experience since the last time we spoke as i know you were punching Pumped away up, yeah because we'd got some really hard hitting results because it was all new to the courts yeah at that point it was new to the barristers what's happened now is i believe his words traveled round. yeah of course you know and um we've become a little bit infamous at disproving um their rights yeah of enforcement um kind of thing but the uh there's a lot of bridging loan companies um because we've got a case against quite a big bridging provider at the moment and i know there's a lot of other companies that are sort of watching behind the scenes because they know that they're structured the same because what we've actually found is a massive problem with peer-to-peer -peer finance because it can't be enforced what's peer-to-peer -peer finance it's where the the scenario i just described so we start a trust we get loads of private oh, funders see, yeah. we get the fund up to 100 million and then we start lending people money and charging ridiculous interest rates on it. What have you found the attitude of the courts, mm. the lawyers, the judges, even the banks, what's their attitude been like towards you and your team as you make these arguments? In the One court? end of the scale to the other. Yeah. So literally, we've had um, some really bad, um, you know, there's a, what I'm finding is the barristers that are very at law, like the land barristers and stuff like that, have a really hard time taking this on. Mm. Um, when we go sort of higher up the chain, so when we speak to KCs and stuff like that, they understand it implicitly mm -hmm. so that they can run with it, you know. Um, and obviously in the lower courts, the judges there are just district judges. They're just a barrister that sits yeah. in an office and they're one of the types that I have to sit with for two, three days to go through everything with before they, they'll go and conduct the hearing. What have, what's been some of the reactions you've had from the judges? Can you, any well, um, really good experience up yeah. in Birmingham. The yeah. judges there seem to be... You know, really? they know that, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I spoke to another barrister, uh, a lady, and she was saying exactly the same. Our, our um, courts down this end, for some reason, Kent and the mm. London courts are, you know, I mean, we, we got an email back from something the other day from a lower court saying they needed 19 weeks to respond to emails and I know the high court 19, are 19 weeks. weeks to respond to your email and if you're you know you're working on an appeal or something you've got 21 days yeah you know it's ridiculous for people um yeah it's uh but then you go up in the higher courts with the judges that know the law and um you know one of our clients has got high counsel or kc and they just can't get around it and get away with it like they can in the lower courts but there's some real abuses of process going on in these lower courts um and now what i'm trying to make out at the moment is i honestly genuinely think they don't know 
Um, I, I can't see it being that corrupt, Loz. Mm. I honestly, genuinely, incompetence. It is. It really <laughs> yeah, is. No, I the think only it's reason, more likely, isn't it? That abs- it's, it's, it's incompetence. And the only reason yeah. I know that is because I have to sit with barristers before the hearings. Yeah, that was the one thing that I kind of took from the whole experience when I was pushing to expose the mortgage uh, scam, and all the people that we were working together, and all the you know, all over the country, it was a big push and it seems like there still is but it's a different wave of people doing it is that i thought this is too big for a district judge at the very least to open the floodgates on so no judge wants their name on the case that you know changed also the problem i've come up with um when i'm working with people personally and say they were trying to run their own case for instance Mm. it's it's really difficult because it's like giving um a learner driver a a ferrari to go and drive they don't know how to drive it i mean if we're having to coach barristers for two three days before hearings the layperson it's just really really hard to sort of understand and get your head around the whole thing do you know what i mean to be able to then know the law behind it to go and well my tactics in that situation were to just delay right it's just to keep putting applications in because you know i'm waiting for a miracle to arrive you know but the longer you're in the game you know the less time that the bank have got to take the property yeah back, he so. who leaves the battlefield first and all that you well, know yeah that's what I, I i kind of i kind of use that philosophy mm. he who leaves the battlefield first because our legal system is adversarial you know it is about two boxers fighting in the ring and the, the last man standing wins the wins the uh, wins the fight yeah it's just terrible that these lower courts are just not fit for purpose at the moment you know, it's just uh, we've had a couple of good results, but in Birmingham, I will say, um, not been the best experience down this end. I mean, we have had success with cases down this end, um, but these lower courts are a real problem. Yeah, because I know one of the th- main thrusts of your argument is that the bank who is making the claim doesn't have the standing to make the claim. They're offshore entity. If they want to make the claim, come on shore. Let's find out who you are. But they don't want to do that. Yeah, because then all of a sudden a lot of other problems for them open up, doesn't it? So they don't want to come on shore. Now, what the banks are doing is saying, well, okay, well, we want to make the application as the agent rather than the principal. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're finding is the latest defense to your argument, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Tell us about that. So in the high court, the other side basically stood up and said, yes, you're absolutely correct. We've got no standing to make this claim, but please judge this concerns millions of pounds. May we change our (laughs) claim to an aid to reflect an agency claim to try and find interest there. Um, If you don't feel that we're an agent, then we're certainly a trustee. But if you don't feel that we're the trustee, then we want to exercise our rights for unjust enrichment. But, you know, that's beautiful in itself because if you want to claim unjust enrichment, you need to show us your losses. And they can't because the loss isn't on their books. So they're trying a scattergun approach really there with that defence, aren't they? It's like, you know, we're, we're all we're all of these things are, you know... It just sounds like, um, you know, me sort of 10 years ago when I started Freemanology and, you know, just throwing enough crap at the wall in the hope that something's going to stick. But I'm finding that responses to our paperwork that we're putting in, we're getting barristers that are doing that kind of thing. Using your arguments or using their defence? Well, using, you know, that analogy that if they throw enough stuff, something's going to stick. Yeah, well, they're trying to give the judge the way out, aren't they? They're trying to say, look, if you don't want to make this judgment, use any of these here. Yeah, yeah. But do you think this... um, Why wouldn't the uh, agency defence work? Because they still need the locus. They still need an interest to be an agent. Yeah. So I'll just apply my same model. When you say interest, what do you mean, like legal title? Or so can, person can interested. Have, well, can they have beneficial title if they want to make an agency no, claim? No, I mean, if they want to make an agency claim, they don't need to hold beneficial or legal. They would have to have a very specific document that states that they've been appointed as an agent. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. But can't they just say that an implied agent, which is what they're trying to say? They can try that all they like, but it's still exactly the same. My model works on whoever you're claiming to be disproving that. So would you say that your argument is basically going through, um, it's going through the system and the system is trying to find ways to knock it down and they're using different arguments at this point to, to see if it's still standing. I, I don't think it's that they can necessarily knock it down because the main argument we won, they said, you're correct, we've got no locus, but yeah. please, may we change our claim? <laughs> you see? So really, yeah. we proved our point. 
initially. I mean, what I don't know if that was you or I, if the shoe was on the other foot, would they have let us make an agency claim? No, I don't know. Of you know, they wouldn't, no. Well. But that's what I said before, but earlier, is that the housing market underpins the UK economy, so yeah. they're not going to just wipe out millions of mortgages. So what would they do then? If, if you were successful and you exposed the, the whole nature of what's really going on, what do you think what would be I'd the, like correct, to do. the correct yeah, response so what, what from the I, court and the government? Okay, I see myself as a person that's going to go into a system and remove the leeches. Yeah. Because this system could actually be a good system if we didn't have leeches in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah? And, and that's what we need to sell. So we need to... Um, Make it beneficial for everybody. And that's what I've been trying to do so that it doesn't get stopped. Yeah. You know, it's been very difficult. If we go out there like Crash Bandicoot, you don't know, you know, like we've been trying to in the lower courts, we're just going to fall flat on our faces and not get anywhere. We got a letter back to my company the other day stating, um, oh, no, this is an internet argument. <laughs> I was mortified. <laughs> that's my argument. Yeah, amazing. That's <laughs> been what you made use into one. <laughs> <laughs> you use that argument against them. Yes. So, what? yeah, I mean, what we've had to do is a bit of remodeling now it's interesting because i started on a certain route and um i went and got a legal opinion like some time ago and they gave me a little nugget but it was over here mm. if that makes sense it still wasn't dealing with this the first thing i came out on so they gave me that little nugget that little nugget got a bit abused if i'm really honest yep. you know it went out and um it became an internet argument so what i've done is i've created a new model which was where i actually came from it's amazing that the internet argument is even a thing, isn't it? <laughs> Honestly, it's yeah. like the three-letter process, isn't it? Uh, notice to agent, yeah. is notice to principal, notice yeah. to bake a bloody cake. It's ridiculous, <laughs> all of it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, another really interesting one that I found interesting was somebody made a claim for possession against a person and the person was actually bankrupt. So firstly, you're thinking, well, hold on, you can't take somebody to court this bankrupt kind of thing, but they did. But when they got in there, because this had been adjourned a couple of times, they tried to say... That my client didn't have standing to make his claim, so actually used our argument against wow. us. But on the way in the call, I, I said to the guy when I gravel, yeah. I said, I've got to say, I'll tip my hat to you using our own argument against you. I said, good luck with that. And we went in and they said it's the judge, and the judge went, oh, I'm not having none of that. You've asked him to come here today. And I thought, ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when I was fighting my case, I remember it was like it was a full-on... It was a full-on, full-time thing. I, you know, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd go downstairs, I'd go on the Skype, find out what the groups were talking about, I'd read the law, I'd make the application to see what it was up to. It was literally the... Closing the, your eyes at night, still it, going. Yeah, That's then, welcome as, to my world. You know, as soon as you'd wake up, that, I'd roll out of bed, I'd roll onto the computer and I'd carry on. And... Um, I was able to do that for about three, three and a half years. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, I used delay tactics. I used delay tactics and I was fortunate enough for a, an act of God and a miracle to occur. Mm -hmm. um, but other people may be not as lucky as me in that sense. And they're faced currently with, you know, the prospect of losing the home. And losing the home, people may say, you know, okay, well, you should be able to pay the mortgage, blah, 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 blah. But it's just not as simple as that, is it? The banks are able to change the contract, increase the mortgage. You know, what kind of contract can, can be changed? It's impossible for people. You know what I mean? What kind of contract can be changed? Oh, actually, we're going to increase that now. Yeah. yeah? Or, or the way we're seeing at the moment, which is, you know, an increase in the cost of living. The wages aren't going up. But everything else is going up. So at some point, something's got to give. And, you know, it's it's uh, people's homes are at stake. And I'd say a lot of those people are watching this podcast. What would you say to those people who are, who are watching? Yeah, I'd, I'd try and think of a sort of, uh, you know, a, a big rounded remedy, if you like. But, look, you're never going to walk into a court case and, and say, then I'm going to get my house for nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not going to happen that way. So what I've sort of learned over the last year is to sort of speak to people and say, right, what can you do yeah. and what do you want out of this? Um, I speak to people that have got three houses um, that, you know, two are rented and one that they live in kind of thing. And I'm sorry, but on that kind of scenario, if it's causing you a big problem, then sell two houses. Yeah. There's no point, you know, cut your losses, in, cut your losses sometimes yeah. and choose your battles. If you're in a very honest crap position, mm -hmm. okay, you sh 
a lot of people have cover on their mortgage where they can get um, the benefits paid for it. Um, so you can sort of go down that road. But what you always want to be offering is a remedy. You can't just be walking into court and saying, look, I've got it. You know, they yeah. don't own it and I'm not paying anybody. You didn't lend me any money. It's not getting anybody anywhere, is it? So if you can find some form of resolve. Now, what I like to do is say, right, if you've had a mortgage for 15 years and you've paid so much and it's interest only, let's work out what you've paid the bank and what the bank have earned out of it. Yeah. Because then what I like to do is talk about a private settlement and say, right, well, you've made this much out of it. You know, you've had this. So we'll go in and offer of maybe 10% of the value of the mortgage. We'll get that okayed. And then we'd like ask to spread that payment out. So it's affordable for somebody or would they qualify for benefits to get it paid kind of thing, you know? Mm. Um, you know, there are scenarios where you've got to prove that they're wrong and um, that they don't own anything. And then there are moves you can make to um, get rid of your assets, if you like, and then they can only get an equitable charge thereafter and you can't enforce from equity. Um, but I've really had to shake the mindset of um, people getting something for nothing. It's been very, very difficult because that isn't going to go through. And so I, I know what it's like though, because when you're when you're in it and you've done the research and you know that the depth and the scale of the scam what you're up against is like you're like, well, no, fuck it. I, well, I, you, we live in a debt-based economy, yeah. okay, and the reason we're failing is because of overcapitalization. It's their greed. It is the bankers' totally. greed. You know, yeah, and we're the ones that happen to bear the brunt. Though. We are, we are. Yeah. But they've put, they've, you know, they've come along hundreds of years ago. They've got this beautiful land, the earth, and they've put a monopoly board over it. Yeah. And they're playing. This is literally a game of monopoly. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to stop us getting a decent group of people together mm -hmm. and starting our own monopoly board. Okay, so yeah, there's nothing to stop us putting our own monopoly board over the earth or putting it over theirs kind of thing. And we, we can do that using um, NGOs and IGOs. So what are they? They are the shadow government. Okay. So uh, the IMF yeah. is an IGO. Um, and, or, you know, the WF. What's an IGO? What's that It's for? an international governmental organisation. And then you've got the NGOs, which are the non-governmental organisations. They've got which a bad is, rap, though, haven't they? They, yeah. are, they are terrible. That's what the UN is. That's, that's what all of these entities that are really calling the shots behind the scenes are. Um, and we need to get clever and we need to get organised because we can do exactly the same. So, we, so OK, this is interesting. So, OK, well, the conversation's developed now. So we, we're talking about some deeper solutions into, into this problem. I and mean, you're talking about what's setting up our own IGOs and NGOs yes. and what would that give us what would be the benefits of doing that For instance if I um, register a charity yeah. um, I go up to parliament um, I can take government funding and now we can go under the geese of sustainability, though we know what that means and we don't really like it, but let's use that as a scenario but our sustainability is going to be getting a local farm back, getting local shop owners back you know, allotments and people being able to look after themselves again. That's where we start. This is grassroots for that part. Because, listen, if you, you know, if you haven't got your house and you haven't got anything left, we need these things in place to be able to look after people that people just haven't got anymore, mm. you know. So that's what we're, we're working on, getting something together at the moment. The IGOs are a little bit different because, obviously, you have to get recognised by another international uh, governmental organisation. So you'd have to partner with somebody that's got a, a government operation going on somewhere else. Because I did quite a bit of research at one point into a guy called uh, David Williams, American guy, really, really good, really smart. And he had taken the kind of arguments that we've been talking about over the last 10 years and the kind of information. And he took it to the next level. He took it to the international realm. Right. And he said, you know, international law is the supreme law. Absolutely. Yeah, rather than the national-based common laws, it's actually international law yeah. right, by which all nations are governed. And that means you can be an individual nation yourself. Yeah, and you can be governed under those same principles. And there's a fantastic book called um, The Law of Nations by Vital. And that's the foundation of international law. And it lays out how a nation should act, you know, in its in its own capacity, in its relationship with other nations, in yes. war and in peace. Right. Uh, and uh, he he kind of was, has been working on this for such a long time. He's a difficult guy to find. He's well buried, mm. uh, but he talks about setting up uh, our own social compact, yeah. yeah, which is then recognised internationally that we can then, you know, act like our own nation. Is that what you're talking exactly about? Exactly that, cool. exactly that. Because from what I'm seeing at the lower courts here, they are inadequate and mm. I can't see anything changing soon. No. 
Hence, we've opted for international. In some ways, in some ideas, because we talk a lot about this on this show, about the problems that we're facing in the West. And one of them is that the problem seems so insurmountable, mm. right? And it's almost like it feels futile, like your experience in the courts and dealing with all these incompetent people and the corrupt people. Um, so instead of trying to change it from within, people are talking about breaking off and starting something we new. We need to just come from the bottom and come up. We can do it. Yeah. It's, you know, we've got to organise. And what they've done a really clever job at is keeping us all highly stressed and distracted. Yeah. You know, that's mm. the art, isn't it? Because mm. then we're easier to control. Then we're not going to, you know, that's why they don't want pubs anymore and things like that because they don't want to sit and, sitting around talking and making these kind of plans. They don't want people socialising anymore. IGOs and uh, NGOs, are they kind of private entities or are they in the public realm well they're public realm but it so it really depends how you want to structure it so that comes around uh, that comes down to the corporate overlay that you put around it yeah yeah so what what, what would the corporate overlay do that would determine almost like a, a, a trust document if you like is it yeah so it'd be yeah. like a treaty more of a treaty, a treaty okay yeah so we're in the realm of treaties now yes, we were we are. the conversation <laughs> i love it yeah because yeah. um, so it's a world trust well, I did a bit of research for one of the podcasts I did recently, which was about the history of uh, the Bank of England in the UK. Really interesting. What came out of that research was this um, idea of chartered companies. Uh, they're not as, they're not as um, prevalent as they were in the past. The Bank of England being a chartered company. A private you say that, but yeah. I, I have evidence to adduce to some, you know, that puts it somewhere else in its private realm. Okay, well, Everything has a public and a private. Yeah, So, the, but the chartered companies, so you had... Bank of England, yeah. the East India Company, yeah, yeah, and all those others that went out and conquered the world, mm. right? Is that they were almost like sovereign nations? That's it. That's yeah. an IGO. Yeah. So there you go. It's changed its name because they they have monopoly rights. Yes, the IMF is an IGO. It is the shadow government. That's what's yeah. when you wonder what's happening and you know why certain people are making the decisions they're making. Yeah, it's the corporate overlay that makes the decisions. So, who pays them. So we can just go out and create an, an IGO? Uh, better off start as an NGO. So the best right. way we can do it gently is you'd start a charity. Okay. Yeah, and then you'd convert the charity to an NGO. Yeah. Then you'd go out and meet someone that's doing some governmental business somewhere else internationally. You'll make an arrangement with them. Then you're an IGO. So you need to be recognised by yeah. people who are already IGOs or yes. so independent you, you nation states? would get recognised by the UN. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hi, hi, I'm Lars. Uh, want you to recognise me internationally? <laughs> I'm here to make treaties with you guys. <laughs> I don't think we'll need to announce our names by the time we're there. I, I definitely think there's uh, value in this. There's definitely mileage because of listening to um, David Williams and yourself now, and I think that's really could be a, a way for us to find a route out of the matrix. We or... can start bringing banks back locally and stuff, you know, and we can use our own currency. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that when people have tried this before, they tried variations on breaking away. Mm. The biggest problem that they have to, to overcome is money, is creating money, is creating credit, is their own currencies. So how would you suggest we go about, about that? Is that possible? In <laughs> yeah, this, in so this we, idea, we would look at funding, yeah. you know. Um, that's the good thing. That's why you start as a charity, because then you can take government funding. Ah, uh, right, okay. Yes, but, so we go under the geese of sustainability. Yeah, yeah, we're going to go. We want it to be sustainable development and all that. Yeah, ESG, we're going to go and see BlackRock for some money, <laughs> are we? <laughs> but hey, our, Mr Fink, we're here, we want our money. Yeah, but our sustainability isn't 15 minute cities. It's yeah. farms and allotments and people being okay, you know, communities back. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a really old, old uh, common law rule that if 20 people, if you ask the council for an allotment and they say, no, we haven't got any, right? If you get 20 people together right, and you go back to the council, I think by law, they have to provide you with an allotment because it's it's space for you to grow food to sustain yourself mm. yeah so there's some ancient law you know with uh, allotments that provide us yeah we had a really interesting thing where i live actually with our local council so we've got um the dartford park and basically what happened was the council sold uh, some of our park off to developers to build a tesco's as an old guy that found a 300 year old covenant mm. and they'd literally um you know uh compulsory uh they'd 
possess people's houses, you know, compulsory purchase, sorry, yeah. and all that. Which um, tells you that you don't own your houses. If, right. if someone else can compulsory purchase it off you, it's not yours to begin with, is it? Yeah, <laughs> but the guy basically found this covenant and stopped everything in its tracks and they never got to build the Tesco's. Do you know what that was? No any details on that? No, yeah. but I have found something very interesting recently that every council has what's called a land charges register. Okay. Which is separate to land registry. Ooh. Well, is it hidden? Well, you'd have to write to them and it's up to them whether they want to tell you what charges are registered against that land. But that would have been where this guy picked up the, the 300-year-old covenant. Yeah, because there's, there's loads of hidden hidden laws that are ancient, yes. that our conquerors couldn't get rid of, yes. yeah, that are older than the Norman Conquest and go back 1,000, 2,000, maybe longer, yes. that they're still there and they're still protecting us. It's yes. just that we don't quite know We don't know are. about them and obviously the councils are just doing what they like, it would seem, yeah. you know? Yeah. And um, that's really interesting as well, the councils per se, because you've got the Square Mile of London, and imagine you've got an octopus. So the Square Mile of London is actually one of the oldest municipal governments in the world, yeah, and they write their own bylaws. But that's the legislation, yeah, the white paper, the bills that they create kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, and then what you've got is all of the county councils around the country, which are just the octopus arm from the Square Mile, yeah, and then the districts off of that. And that's exactly how this works and where it's coming from. It's interesting because, you know, when you read the Magna Carta, it has a provision for the City of London. Mm. In the Magna Carta, it's like, oh, okay, all these rules apply to you, but not to them. Not to them, yeah. But, but yeah. And I mean, when William the Conqueror came yeah. over, yeah. he didn't touch the Square Mile of well, London. He beat them right. for whatever reason. And Scotland. Yeah. And Scotland and the Square Mile are one of the same thing, I believe. Oh, interesting. Well, Scotland, you know, isn't a, isn't a common law jurisdiction. It's a Roman civil law jurisdiction, which I found really surprising. It doesn't run under common law. There's a there's a you know there's a little bit of variance there, but fundamentally, it's under Roman the, civil. Do law. they own a lodially in Scotland? Don't they? They fully own, not uh, in the, like feudally like we do here. I don't know for sure. Yeah, I don't know for sure. That's the Stuart would be the guy to speak to. Yeah, about I that. think. You yeah. do. They have a lodial title in Scotland, which would tell you that the Square Mile and Scotland are exactly the same thing. Yeah. And the reason that they didn't get touched was because either, I think maybe they already had them. They were it. Well, they couldn't get over the wall. Yeah. So so when William came, he didn't conquer the city of London. Why? You know, a square mile. Square mile, yeah. Did you know Parliament um, used to be on an island, Thorny Island? Wow. Yeah, where was that? In the Thames? Yeah. It's wow. the way they've built everything now. They've sort of made it that it's not an island anymore, basically. But Westminster was actually originally sat on an island called Thorny Island. You yeah. Google it. They had to be an island because they were worried about their own safety even back then. You know, I, I love the history of England. I love the history of trying to find out what the true nature is yeah. and, and the root of title because there was, we were talking about mortgages here, but there was no mortgage in England and Wales before the Normans. No. Before the Normans, you, you weren't allowed to uh, lend money against real estate. You were only allowed to lend money against chattels. Well, it was when they'd done the Laura Mortimer, wasn't it? The yeah. dead man's hand. Yeah. So that was when they split the title. But the Normans brought the mortgage. Well, the people that the Normans brought with them brought the mortgage. Yeah, yeah but that was a, you know, a non-existent legal entity in England before 1066. So how, how did they get recognised? Just by Who? conquering? Who? Like William, the, the Normans. How yeah, did they, they take over? They just conquered just, us. They conquered us. <laughs> they conquered us. And then they did something called the harrying of the North. And the harrying of the North was the Normans' tactics to subdue the natives. Right. And they basically burnt all the crops, killed all the cattle, and starved the local population. By, you know, it was like a genocide. Yeah, It was a genocide of the by the Normans in order to subdue the Anglo-Saxons and the Celts that were here. And it was a, 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 you know, a, a decisive of moments in English history is when Harold fell uh, Hastings with the arrow in the eye. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously, when we were doing the research on the mortgage, that came up. It was like, what? It didn't exist. You you weren't allowed yeah. to lend money against real estate because of the maxim: an Englishman's home is his castle. Yes. So you couldn't evict someone from the land because it's their land, not yours. Well, that was the monopoly ball going over then, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was, it was like we held it a load, a loadly. Yeah. Yeah, it was the land that we lived on was our land. It wasn't. We weren't like title holders. No, because they. Uh, but then what happened was they. Split the title. They split the title. Laura Maltmain. The Doomsday Book was the first register, wasn't it? This is all my property now. This is I've registered it all. I'll let you stay on it. I'll let you use it, but you've got to pay me rent. Yeah. Because before the Normans, there was no rent. No. Is it the Treaty of 
Treaty of Verona, 1213. Well, that was the one before Magna Carta that no one usually recognises. Uh... Well, and they it sort of throws into question whether the Magna Carta is recognised, doesn't it? Have you yeah. looked into that? It's quite interesting. Quite I mean, interesting. I don't know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you been following what's happening in England and Wales at the moment and feel as if it can get a bit black-pilled? You know, with mm. the news that comes out all the time, it feels so futile. And I like that idea of what you're talking about of setting up internationally, of of uh, setting up our own banks uh, and cults, sovereign and- nations. You are born a sovereign being with limitless human potential, but this knowledge has cruelly been hidden from you because they don't want you to know the truth. But I do. For as long as I can remember, I've been successfully defying the tyranny imposed by the faceless, bureaucratic deep state. A group of people hell-bent on turning us into slaves. I've proved countless times that our rights still exist. You just need to know how to enforce them or whether you even need to engage with these imposters at all. With Sovereign Life Coaching, I will teach you not only what your rights are, but also how you can use them to your advantage. This esoteric knowledge can help you grow your business or overcome debilitating creative or personal challenges because a motivated man or woman is unstoppable which is why they go to all the effort to demoralize you. When you work with me, you will feel powerful enough to walk through walls. To find out more of what we can help with, click the link below and book a free introductory call with me today. Don't be someone else's slave. Be your own sovereign. We're meant to be sovereign. I mean, I, you know, I've seen some people um, doing some work on council tax recently. I can never remember the name of the group, but they're talking about principal agency relationship. And I never applied that kind of thinking to... Um, that kind of relationship. Anyway, I've done a little bit of research into it. It's really interesting because it turned out, actually, we are the people principle. Yeah. Parliament is our agent. Definitely. And they feed to government what they want us to do, basically. So if I'm the principal, when did I ask them to write a piece of legislation to bill me for council tax? Mm-hmm. We didn't. Right. Yeah. So so we need to realise that we are the principle and know how to act as principal. I think we just honestly don't know. Did you watch the coronation? No. I did. It was fascinating. Really Go fascinating. On, yeah. It was fascinating because it was watching the king take a public oath, right? So the whole world who was watching, he took a public oath, right? He even got on his knees and kissed the Bible, right? So he, he genuflected to the, to the Bible. Was it definitely the Bible? Well, it could have been just a, <laughs> yeah, the top page. Was Satan's hell. something weird underneath page two. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, point being, right, is that he was the king or he has been crowned the king on condition that he upholds the law, yeah. upholds the common law, the natural law, God's law, and the deal, were he the so- sovereign over slaves? Well, right? yeah. Well, they if, they, if they're going to admit we're slaves, then that's something yeah. for us to rebel against, yeah, but that's yeah. not true, we're sovereign. So we transfer our sovereignty to the crown, the king, on condition, right, that they uphold the law and they don't try and tyrannise us or oppress us. So if they fail to live up to their side of the bargain, by logic, we can withdraw our sovereignty that we transfer to them. So in what you're saying there is that if we're the principal, if we're the sovereign in our personal capacity, Mm -hmm. if we're transferring it to them, then yet we can dictate them and tell them what to do. Because the government doesn't have any money. It's all our money. The government doesn't have money. Yeah. How have you found that's happening with the council tax? Well, um, like I say, I mean, there there were people, I don't don't quite know what their argument is. I find it all a bit confusing. All I know is they're using principal agency, which I'm very au fait with, Mm. um, but I just didn't know how to relate it to that. Um, So, yeah, it's like we... When did we give them the... Um... The Conquer Dusty Tucky. <laughs> oh, also, if that's the case, then I am a little bit confused. I've got to hash this one out, if you don't mind, quickly. So we've got the the king here, who I take it sovereign. Well, he is the sovereign. So what a parliament? Um, well, parliament claims to be... Sovereign. Um, sovereign, yeah, but the debate over it. So the next podcast is with Graham Moore, who's an expert on this particular topic. Yeah. Okay, right, yeah. yeah, you need to hash that one down because there's something not right there, isn't there? Well, it came after Charles I was beheaded. And yes, Cromwell. Cromwell. They yeah. dug him up and hung him twice three times. More. Three times. <laughs> wow. And took a skull, of, you know, took it on a tour around England. Yeah, yeah, as a, as a, as a How torch. did he get away with that, though, at that time? Like, what? 
because he was funded by international bankers. Yeah, well. <laughs> he wanted to do a conquest of England. <laughs> <laughs> There's the trick then. We know where we're going next. But I think that's, you know, if if you're getting into this topic and if you're fighting the banks and stuff, if you do the research, you'll find it's all connected to yes. these same things. Yeah, isn't absolutely. It? You know, it's, it's just a big... Follow the money. It's a lie propping up a lie, propping up a lie, propping up a lie. Well, we're coming towards the end of part one here and we're going to move over to part two and talk about some solutions. But I thought we'd talk about a little bit of a personal thing before we moved on. And you told me before we started the podcast that you're a trained classical singer. Oh, yeah. So tell me about want... that, that cultural passion. <laughs> you want to give us a little rendition? Oh, no, no, please, no. Yeah. No, it's just I, when I left school, I was one of those really didn't know what I wanted to do and yeah. uh, was fiercely independent. Is this Dartford you went to school as well? I went into, uh, to school in Dartford, but then yeah. when I was 17, I moved up to London. Okay. And um, then I moved to Essex. And what happened was I was doing a computer course at college and I met a, an old guy called Paul and he said that his wife done singing lessons. And I went, really? I like singing. So, yeah, I went and done some classical training. Amazing. Um, Italian vacai. What's Italian vacai? It's scale training. So it just, it's, um, t it, it's just um, teaches you to, you know, get as many octaves out of your voice as wow. you can, basically. I was about, I wasn't, you know, I was about two and a half octaves. I was an alto, like a medium one. Um, but yeah, it was it was all very well and good until she asked me to go to church thing with her once to help her choir. And I had to stand at the front of the church with like a Viking hat thing on. Mm. And all these people that I were trying to keep in alto was singing in all different tones and everything. And, what was your um, favourite piece that you'd like to sing? Do you remember? I used to like doing um, showstoppers, so London showstopper songs. Oh, so right. I really liked um, oh, the one out of... Um, Jesus Christ, uh, what is it? Well, the Philip Schofield one, the, the technical, uh, well, technical I loved it. Gods. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> Paul <You> Gordon. Sure? <laughs> I actually met Philip Schofield oh, once God. at the Lord Mayor's show in London oh. when I was very oh, young. God protected you. Oh, yeah, no. And do you know what I was really surprised at? Because on the children's programme that I used to watch, he had um, grey flicks in his hair. But when I actually met him, he yeah. had a full head of grey hair. I remember being disturbed as a child at that. Yeah. But we all grew up with um, Philip Schofield. Didn't be, he was always a bit weird. He was yeah. always a bit weird, yeah. Because yeah, he had it's bla not... black hair for a long time and then all of a sudden he just Overnight stopped Overnight went grey. Yeah, funny that. <laughs> yeah, he stopped dying. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see you as someone who was into classical music. I like, I, I like, I've got a very eclectic taste in music. Yeah, because I think music is a good barometer of where our cultures are headed or where they're at currently. I think also there's a lot of the music um, is, you know, you can feel that it's giving you um, like a horrible, how would I describe it, like an energy kind of thing. So you'll put some sounds on and you can hear the tones in it. Um, mm. I'm very self-aware, so I know how things affect my body. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I try and sort of stick to anything played in 432. <laughs> what, do you make, what do you make of the current revolution with AI and human art? Because I, I I can't see it having a happy ending. I was thinking about this the other day because all of a sudden, you know, three to 5,000 years of human creativity has been reduced to ashes mm. within one year by all of this AI software. Yeah. Right? And it, it's difficult to know where it's heading to. But I think people are going to get bored of... AI art pretty quickly and yeah, then it will yeah. return back to more live stuff. You know, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Have you have you thought yeah, about it? Yeah, I mean my son, he um he was a bit into is it NF NFTs? So he was doing... Well, I mean music, AI music. Well, now. all it's of just, it. You know, you know, well, I'll you know, tell you... Write me a song and then all of a sudden it pops out of, you know, I think it's song. I think it's very amazing. And in the now, I think, wow, that's absolutely brilliant. And I actually can't wait for drones to replace lorries. Yeah. But... I can see it ending in tears, yeah. Um, and I'll tell you why. I read a Dan Brown book. I think it might have been the last book he wrote, and it's about AI. Have you read any Dan Brown books? Yeah, only the early stuff, you know. The... Well, he actually, you know this, what I said to you earlier when I said, oh, it, it killed its operator, the AI ended yeah. up killing its operator. That In that story, that's what happens. Yeah. Um, well, that's the classic story of AI, isn't it? It's, it's like Frankenstein turns on its, its own creator, isn't it? You know? Yeah, I mean, I can't see it um, ending very well. Um, and, and not only that, what if, uh, 
um, you know, we had power cuts and things like that. What does the world just stop running? Because, mm. you know, like companies have to shut down for three days now if their computers go down. I think it's really counterproductive. Yeah, I think they I think they're putting a I think they're overestimating where it's actually going to go. I don't really think they'll pull off the level of Skynet that no. we saw in Terminator, you know, maybe, you know, but I don't think so. Somehow I think it'll it'll collapse under its own weight before it gets that far. I think there'll be a rejection, especially of like, at the moment, I'm already bored of seeing AI art, you know, artwork, you know, the mid-journey. Chat GPT. Yeah. yeah. And you can see what Chat GPT produces. You can read it. When someone puts in some uh, text that's got like a list of 10 things, you know, Chat GPT's done that. We're on the threshold of a brave new world with AI because all of a sudden, you know, you can create art, you can create music, you can create text. But so, some of the music that is put together is unreal, isn't I know, it? I mean, wow. What does that mean no, for musicians I know, and singers I know, and people I know. who play instruments? What does that actually truly mean? Where, where is that headed? No, well, they're, they're, you're going to need the human element, otherwise you wouldn't have had the songs the in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah to put to... the prompt in. Yeah, please write me a classic song, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, I've never actually thought about it that far forward. And, yeah, that's quite horrific, actually, isn't it? Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of people out of work, a lot of people out of work, but yet they're flooding more people. And where's all these jobs going to come from to, you know, provide? Well, there the... is going to be no jobs because AI is going to be doing it all. Yeah. I mean, come, come on, if you had a business and you had a warehouse mm. and you had to employ 50 people to run that warehouse and you used to suffer with human human error and yep. spoilage and then you could have 10 robots well if your overriding objective is profit then yeah of course oh, you know course, you're going yeah. to look to try and you know maximize it as much as possible but i think it could be a beautiful thing if it's used in the right areas yeah. yeah so you know like you've got um you've got robots doing prostate operations now and well, literally perform- I'm not sure about, about that. <laughs> well no but i'm just saying it's um yeah. The doctor's finger or the robot's probe. I'm not sure which way to way forward on I that I think one. I'm going for the robot's probe. I think it'd be quicker and cleaner. <laughs> but yeah, no, I know what you're saying. But at the same time, I can I can see the attraction in it as well. Of course. You know, that's that's why it's happening, isn't yeah, it? Because yeah. I don't, I'll use it myself if I have to. I will say that the AI that I've built into the app... What's what the app? The, what I spoke about on the last podcast. So yep. it just chases ownership worldwide of who's got what, basically. So this is your proprietary software that you've created that allows you to chase the chain of title and find out actually where your mortgage is. Your mortgage or, it, yeah, I mean, you can use it for that, but it can be used for many different things because, again, I work on a bigger scale than just one mortgage kind of thing, so it yeah. tracks from a company level, yeah? Mm. So whatever financial products the company's got is sort of irrelevant to the app, um, but it will give you an accurate picture of who owns what. Can the general public use that app? No, uh, no, okay. not at the moment, so no. Then, so that's part, whenever you're working with a new client, you'll utilise the app and find out where their title is. And... Yeah, yeah, so I'll utilise it. We've got um, AI built in so that we can ask it questions. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, who's the beneficial holder, who's the trustee, whatever you want to know, basically. So it just deconstructs yeah. whatever the report is, whatever information's in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's actually a really accurate beneficial ownership register, more accurate than Companies House. Um, I was raving on on the last podcast about Companies House being a beneficial ownership register. It's a big lie. Mm. What's on Companies House isn't the case either. Cool. Okay. Well, before we get into that, I'll uh, I'll bring part one to a close. Part two, we're going to talk about how people can take action themselves or things that they can do to uh, make their lives a little bit less stressful and and other ideas of freedom and how we can break free of the system. Yeah, Yeah, uh, it's been great chatting to you in part one. For people who were only around for part one, where can people find you if you want them to find okay. you? Because I know after the last podcast, you <laughs> no, were a little it's bit fine. I, under. Well, I gave out the wrong email address I realised on the oh, wrong God. on the last podcast, didn't I? I put LLP on the end. Um, but a couple of people were clever and found did you. get around it and they did find me, yeah. So, um, I mean, you can get me on Facebook, though it's a bit unreliable because I get lots of um, inboxes on Facebook. But... I can give you an email address that if you've got a um, a loan or a housing problem, um, we may be able to help. And that is jlsmontague.com. That's the website, sorry, the email address, adr at jlsmontague.com. Thanks for watching part one. In part two, 
premium and uncensored content for members only. We reveal actionable solutions, what you can do to break free of the system. Plus, Lisa gives us a masterclass that you seriously don't want to miss. Support us there, subscribe today, and get exclusive uncensored content for members only. It's just £5 a month, less than a pint of beer.